Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we finish a series on church history with Dr. Michael Haken. Today's conversation is all about Christianity in the last three centuries. And so in the last probably 25, 30 years, though, I've seen, again, there's been, a, I think, a time of encouragement. There's a rediscovery of some of the great riches of the Reformation, Puritanism, the Great Awakenings, and is evident in various conferences. The publishing houses uh, churning out significant amounts of solid Christian literature and um, podcasts like this. Hey, I'm Isaac, your host. Happy you're with us today on another episode of In Doubt. If you're new to the show, In Doubt exists to bring the gospel into relevant issues of life and faith that we face every single day. You see, everything is about relationship. Even our commitment to Christ is about relationship with Christ. So God is relational in being. He's a trinity, right? So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and Genesis 1.26 says something profound. It says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And, you know, you've probably heard it said, but like notice the plural language in there, the us, the our, and the other our, our image, our likeness, let us make man. We're made in the image of the triune God. And if we're made to reflect the triune God, then relationship is vital for our lives. Now, one of the, you know, main ways, I guess you could say, we relate to one another is through oral conversation. But look, you and I both know that much of our conversations throughout the day are not exactly deep. And I'm not saying that every single conversation needs to be deep, but it is important to be able to, you know, critically think about the issues of life and faith we face and then communicate between friends and family about those very things. And that's one of the reasons why we exist as a ministry at Endowed. You know, we want to have conversations about important topics and issues that are vital to who we are as Christians and humans. And then we hope to inspire you to go and talk to others, you know, to have conversations. Um, and since this weekend coming up is the time in the calendar year where we as a, you know, as a church celebrate Christ's death and resurrection, Good Friday and Easter. It's a great time to talk with both Christians and non-Christians about topics like Jesus the man, you know, the seriousness and reality of sin and so on. It's really easy just to, you know, continue to talk about the newest Netflix series or the newest music or whatever. But like, this is a really important time that we actually talk about Christ and sin and, and the gospel. In fact, late December of just last year in 2016, I actually had a great talk with apologist Sean McDowell on the historicity of Jesus. And at that time it was Christmas. So we talked about, you know, Christmas and stuff like that. But I'd encourage you to go actually go back and check it out. Indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or Indoubt.com if you live in the States. It's episode 49 in our episode archives. We, you know, we talked about, you know, the, literally the man of Jesus and how we can actually trust historically that he was a real man. And we also did one last year on sin with Pastor Dave Johnson, which is episode 21 in the episode archive page called The Disease Within Us. So I'd encourage you to check those out, listen to them, then go talk with others about what you've learned. Anyways, this week on the show, we finished a series that we started back in January, uh, but took a break because of the depth, you could say. Um, if you listened last week, you'll know that we had Dr. Michael Haken with us to talk about the Reformation. And today we have him back for the last time for this series to talk about church history from the Reformation period to the present era. So here's our conversation with Dr. Michael Haken.
Well, with me today to finish our series on church history is Dr. Michael Haken. Uh, he's a professor of church history and biblical spirituality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in, in Kentucky. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Great, great to be with you again. Um, if you're new to In Doubt and this is your first episode you're listening to ever, um, or maybe you've listened before and you just happened to start listening to this episode uh, now again, I'd encourage you to go back to the first episode in this series. Um, the, the story that Dr. Michael Haken has been you know, so incredibly telling us uh, is just that. It's, it's a true story, and we know that stories obviously need to be heard and understood in full, and they, again, they morph and they change on top of each other, so we need to get it in its full. But anyways, uh, he uh, took us through through the patristic period. Uh, then we went into the medieval period, the dark kind of ages. There was Bible literacy and different things like that. And then last week we looked at the Reformation, which is sort of this uh, another mountaintop where people like John Calvin and Martin Luther, uh, you know, explained some really important things. There was this Reformation of, of the gospel per se. Uh, and then today we reached the globalization of the gospel. So why don't you explain to us what you mean by that? Yeah, the globalization of the gospel is the way in which the gospel moved out of the kind of European confines that it had been in really for best part of a thousand years. Mm. The fall of the Roman Empire and then the rise of Islam really bottled Christianity up into Europe. Okay. In the Roman Empire, their world was really a Mediterranean world. Both sides of the Mediterranean were part of the Roman Empire. Yeah. With the rise of Islam, North Africa completely falls under the sway of Islam and is lost uh, during the Middle East, medieval period mm. to the Church. And the Church finds herself kind of bottled up in Europe. And with the globalization of Christianity, we see the Church breaking out of that. And uh, preceding that breakout, which comes at the end of the 18th, 19th century, 18th century, mm. with uh, the thought of really uh, William Carey, uh, the Baptist uh, pastor who has a global vision, um, but really before that takes place, there is this significant area of revitalization, what we call the Great Awakening, uh, the revivals of the 18th century. Right. When we talk about the 18th century, usually a number of images come to mind for many uh, historians. One is definitely what we call the Enlightenment, uh, the project that emerges as an intellectual project in the early early modern period in the late 1600s, the 1700s, of trying to live life and envision life without God. Hmm. And really kind of, in one sense, maybe let me qualify that, uh, live life without divine revelation, right. making human reason supreme. Yeah. Uh, most of the 18th century thinkers were believers in God, but it was not the God of Scripture. Hmm. Um, they thought that their human reason could kind of understand reality. And there's massive advances that take place uh, over a wide range of subjects and fronts during the 18th and 19th centuries, from, you know, the, the Newtonian uh, physics all the way through to medical advances, uh, advances in technology, uh, etc. Interesting, okay. And for many of these men uh, who are behind this, men and women who are behind this, there was this thinking that uh, human reason unfettered by external authorities like the Bible or uh, church leadership, uh, th there were no bounds that it could to what it could achieve. Hmm. And uh, this kind of perspective, is, which leads to the secularization of large parts of the European world, um, is still with us, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it's also a period of great revival. 
um, in, beginning in the 1730s with the conversion of men like George Whitfield, uh, the Wesley brothers, uh, Howell Harris and Daniel Rowland in Wales, uh, the preaching of Jonathan Edwards in New England. Hmm. Uh, there is significant spiritual awakening taking place. Okay. Um, in Wales, by the middle of the 19th century, probably 80% of men and women in Wales were professing evangelicals. Wow. Or maybe a better put it, they sat under the sound of the gospel week by week. Right. Uh, which is astounding figures. Yeah. Um, in New England, between uh, 1740 and 1742, um, out of a population around 250,000, at a conservative estimate, we have around 50,000 conversions. Wow. A seventh of the population. Yeah. Um, if you think about that in Canada, you know, if Canada is what about 33 million. Yeah. If so let's say 35 million to round it off to an easy figure for my, for me. Sure. Um, <laughs> think about what would what, what would what would our nation be like if over the next uh, three years? Yeah. There were a seventh of our population, which would be five upwards of five million people yeah. were converted. Oh, amazing. Yeah, and so there is this uh, just enormous revitalization of the church. Mm. And with the revitalization of the church, this sense of mission. Yeah. Um, the mission ideas begin uh, in the early 18th century with people like the Moravian uh, Moravians, okay. um, who have German roots, um, and they begin to, in the 1720s, 1730s rather, they begin to send out missionaries to places like Greenland and uh, Sri Lanka, yeah. uh, South Africa. Yeah. Um, then continuing through the 18th century, you have people like William Williams, the great Welsh hymn writer, William Williams Pantykellen. He's sometimes known as Pantykellen being the farm that he grew up on. Hmm. Um, he's got a great hymn called um, O'er the Gloomy Hills of Darkness. Hmm. And uh, in which one of the uh, the stanzas uh, runs this way, uh, two stanzas run this way: Kingdoms wide that sit in darkness, grant them, Lord, the glorious light, and from eastern coast to western, may the morning chase the night, and redemption freely purchase, win the day. Wow! Fly abroad, eternal gospel, win and conquer, never cease. May thy lasting wide dominions multiply and still increase. May thy scepter sway the enlightened world around. And uh, as congregations awesome. sang hymns like this in the 70s, 1780s, there began to be a recognition that there, the, 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 the European scene had been remarkably favored with gospel, light, the Reformation, yep. Puritanism, the revivals. But what about the rest of the world? Right. And it's thus in the 1790s that you find the modern missionary movement beginning, humble beginnings, 1792 October, a group of uh, 12 men, uh, 13, 12 or 13 men, in a small room, nine by six feet, uh, in a place called Kettering, hmm. uh, in a widow's home um, in Kettering, uh, Northamptonshire in England, pledge themselves to form a society which becomes the Baptist Missionary Society. It's the first uh, cross-cultural society uh, that has the aim of sending missionaries abroad. They have very few resources, but they have enough to send William Carey to India mm. uh, in 93. He will be there till his death in 1834, never wow. leaves. And uh, you get the beginning then of what we call the modern missionary movement. Yeah. A number of, uh, well, probably two or three years ago, some of us in, our, in the church history department at Southern were having a small debate. This is the seminary where I teach about what's the most significant event since the Reformation in the, in the, in the history of the Church. Hmm. 
And um, one of the, my colleagues said, well, it's got to be the, the secularization of the church, which we'll talk about briefly in a minute, um, and the rise of liberal theology. Yeah. And I, I thought, well, that's only if you're a Westerner. Yeah. Surely, if you're thinking from the point of view of the rest of the world, you know, Africa, Asia, Latin America, it's got to be the globalization of Christianity through the modern missionary movement. You know, in, in, in the 1790s, evangelical Christianity was really kind of limited to various parts of Europe, particularly Western Europe, um, and the Atlantic seaboard, running from, you know, Georgia up to Nova Scotia. Right. Um, uh, Florida was not yet part of the United States. Um, 200 years later, the major centers of Christianity are now places in Africa in mm-hmm. terms of numbers. Yeah. You know, Latin America, South, places like South Korea and in Asia, where 40% is evangelical professedly. Wow. And there's just, there's just been a remarkable growth of gospel light uh, through what we call the modern missionary movement. Yeah. Now, in the West, at the same time as this remarkable growth of missions around the world, there's been a collapse of the gospel. Hmm. And uh, some of that's come through the Enlightenment Project, which is the exaltation of human reason over divine revelation. Right. Men like Wesley, uh, Jonathan Edwards, never despised human reason, but they didn't. They simply didn't believe that it would. It could be uh, the main vehicle by which we knew God. Right. Simply because human reason has fallen. Yeah. And needs divine revelation to give it. Clarity. That's good. Uh, the 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 retreat to read human reason by itself, shorn of divine revelation, yeah. meant invariably that intellectuals and leaders who kind of traveled this path would lose the gospel. Well, it's interesting you say that because you, you know when I read, um, I have a little book at home just called Jonathan Edwards Reader, and it's a little book of just snippets from different works and stuff and different diary entries and and man, like he he does not lower like reasoning at all or science. In fact, he was marvelous philosopher and even scientist. Like he, he explains just sitting down when he was a kid and and watching how a spider makes its web, and he's just explaining it in detail but giving all the glory to God, and uh, it's just amazing to see that. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much so. So reason as a handmaid to revelation uh, has been a, that's been the, the, the dominant biblical perspective down through the years. Right. Um, but obviously this rise of liberalism, um, which technically speaking probably has its roots in uh, reactions against Puritanism in the late 1600s in England that then takes root in philosophical circles in France and then in Germany, mm-hmm. um, leads to devastation in Europe uh, in the 19th century. Right. Okay. In Germany, for example, uh, by the end of the 19th century, there probably is not one, as we would describe it, evangelical professor of systematic theology. I mean, I mean there may have been one or two. Right. But essentially, uh, that area of Christian thought um, falls prey to what we call liberal theology. Okay. Um, during the course of the early 20th century, there is obviously a response to this, reaction to this. We sometimes describe it as the fundamentalist modernist controversy. Right. Uh, the word fundamentalist, like the word Puritan, has a kind of a negative yep, overtone totally. for any of us. Um, and most of us would not want to be called fundamentalists. <laughs> but we owe a great de- debt to them. They, yeah. they fought for the gospel, sometimes fought in ways that we would later find problematic. Right. Uh, at times there's a bitterness in their arguments, sometimes very ad hominem attacks. Mm-hmm. But they, they essentially knew that if, 
if the 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 supernatural element of the gospel, yeah, which emphasized as the early church did the divine inspiration of the scriptures, and again as the early church did that the Lord Jesus Christ is fully God, mm-hmm. that the God we meet in the gospel is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If these things are lost, we have nothing. We ha- we don't have a message to the world. Yeah. And um, certainly among uh, North American denominations, there is massive battles, massive splits. Yeah. Um, in um, in Canada, uh, particularly among the splits, particularly are evident among the Baptists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're also there to some degree among the Presbyterians. I would argue that the during the course of the 20th century in Canada, the capitulation of what we call the United Church. The United Church was formed in 1925 by a union of mostly Methodists with about two-thirds of the Presbyterian denomination. I may be a bit off on that. It may have been about half. But the capitulation of the United Church in the 1960s to liberal theology, mm-hmm. loss of the gospel, has been devastating for, for the Canadian scene. It's true, yeah. Um, the lo- really, the lo- two-thirds of evangelicals in, for instance, uh, Canada belonged to the Presbyterian and Methodist denominations. Wow. And when they united in 1925, and then subsequently in the 60s, yeah. began to move away from gospel fidelity, yeah. um, it's been, it, the, the impact has been appalling upon, yeah. uh, upon the Canadian scene. So if you have Canadian students, uh, Michael, don't let them stay down in the States. Bring them back uh, to Canada. <laughs> no, Please. we actually do. We have, a, we have a thing called the Canada Club. Oh, awesome. <laughs> which uh, is about 50, 60 of us, and uh, we're never all there at one time, but we, 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 one of the themes of the Canada Club is to pray for Canada and to make sure that Canadian students can find their way back uh, to the Canadian scene to That's labor so here. That's awesome. And uh, because the need here is great, yes, really great. for sure. Now, qu- just quickly, I-, I know this wasn't, this might not have been part of your uh, sort of presentation, but I-, I can't help but bring up the fact that, you know, at the late 19th century, you have two of like probably one of the biggest Christian cults, is Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, kind of sprang up. I think it was around in the 19th century. What was going on that allowed these two massive cults to grow? Well, I, part of it's got to do, actually, with um, the revivals. Um, the, what was called the Second Great Awakening. The First Great Awakening is the 1740s through to about the 1770s. The Second Great Awakening begins in the 1790s and okay. runs through about the 1830s. And it's a much more extensive, deeper awakening in terms of numbers converted and, and geographical extent. Right. Now, in the wake of that... Revivals sometimes can have negative consequences, and one of the negative consequences uh, in the wake of the revival was an, a, 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 an emphasis on emotion, right. sometimes on biblical methods of uh, evangelism. And it's interesting, in the wake of the revivals, particularly the Great Second Great Awakening in New York, the state of New York, you have the emergence of a variety of cults, mm. um, Mormonism, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, Christadelphians, right, um, which is intriguing, and then later in the later in the nineteenth century, Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. Um, the reality is this: is that the church has always been beset. Right. Uh, we we talked about this right in the first talk when we looked at the the church's struggle against heresy. Yeah. And uh, this is simply a, one of the challenges the church has: these struggles of of of. Uh, 
not simply schism, but of of inward uh, falling away from the faith, of Mm. people within the Church uh, ultimately falling away from the Gospel. Right. And so the Church finds herself embattled down through the years. We, you know, we 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 talk about the church militant right and her battle is against outward forces things like the enlightenment but also against inward forces right uh the emergence of these cults and then also obviously liberal theology yeah. and it could be the case that some of these cults may have been a response to the growing liberalism in the in the late 19th century okay and so uh in the last probably 25, 30 years, though, I've seen, again, there's been, a, I think, a time of encouragement. There's been a, a rediscovery of some of the great riches of the Reformation, Puritanism, the Great Awakenings, and is evident in various conferences today, like Together for the Gospel, yes, uh, the Gospel Coalition, uh, Shepherds Conference that takes place out in California, okay. uh, the Ligonier uh, Conferences, uh, publishing houses, uh, churning out significant amounts of Christian literature, solid Christian literature, yeah. um, places like Crossway, mm-hmm. uh, Banner of Truth, uh, etc. Yeah. And um, podcasts like this. Yeah, That's which good. Is, All of this is very, very, I think, very encouraging. I mean, there's a lot to discourage us. Sure. Uh, we've, you know, significant challenges like, you know, Islam, uh, the ongoing persecution of the Church through you know, communist and Muslim regimes, mm-hmm. uh, post-modernity in the West, uh, the massive moral relativism, yeah. uh, the rejection, actually, of reason. Yeah. Um, reason had been a dominant mode of knowing. It's now being rejected and led us down a, into a quagmire of post-modernity. Yeah. Um, but in all of this, God is building His church, and things are there's, there's much to encourage us. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Michael, after kind of looking at uh, the patristic period to today, um, as you as, an, a, as a church historian, just a historian in general, you sort of have this advantage of kind of knowing the details of kind of what has gone on. What, if I asked you, what do we as the church, and you're, you're Canadian as well, so maybe you could speak into Canada, like what, do, what does the church need today? What do we need to grasp? What do we need to be fighting for, in a sense? Well, I think, um, let me go back all the way to the early church. I think the, the, can, uh, the, um, the Trinity is critical. Okay that God is triune. Uh, this is particularly the case with facing Islam. Hmm. It's also particularly the case facing uh, many in our culture. Um, I mean, the, obviously, there's a, the, what we call the New Atheism. Um, the New Atheism is really, in some ways, a blip from the past. It's kind of an emphasis on human reason to the exclusion of revelation. Hmm. But I think increasingly we live in a world of people who are spiritual. Yeah, uh, They all love Jesus. But is he is he the Jesus of Scripture? Is he is he the the divine uh, in, a second person of the of the Godhead who has become incarnate and died and has been raised again and exalted to the position of Lord? Um, so I, I think that's one critical thing. Yeah. Uh, second is the canon of Scripture, uh, a body of divine revelation mm-hmm. that we have to stand on. Yeah. Uh, in talking about God. Yeah. Uh, thirdly, to continue in the whole area of the mission that was begun, obviously way back there in the Book of Acts, but in more recent years, the modern missionary movement, uh, there's still much to do. There's about 2,000 language groups in the world that don't have the scriptures, that they right. need them. Yeah. Um, and the re-evangelization of areas of the world like uh, Europe, um, yeah. 
we tend to think, okay, the gospel was there once, we don't need to go back there right. again, even <laughs> if they've rejected it. But I, I really think the time is critical to hmm. be thinking about planting the gospel afresh in European countries. That's good. These countries that still have enormous influence uh, monetarily, um, politically in the world. Um, we, we need gospel witness and gospel presence yes. uh, in these countries. Oh, that's great. And, uh, and then that old challenge of Islam. We saw this in the, the second uh, of our four talks, um, in which we saw the rise of Islam. And uh, Islam has gone through a period of uh, resurgence. Mm-hmm. And it's still, our, our great, it's still a great challenge to us. And yeah. uh, we need to be a people who know how to reach uh, across this divide um, with the gospel to Muslims. Yeah. And um, many of us are afraid of yeah. Muslims of terrorism. Yeah. But uh, these men and women need the gospel. They need to know that the, the Jesus that they honor as a prophet is much more than a prophet. That's good. That's he is great. the second person of the Holy Trinity, uh, Lord and God, and uh, rightly deserves our worship and adoration. Yes, that's so good. Hey, Michael, is there any books you'd recommend if someone's listening to the, 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 the series and is like, oh, I want to dig more into church history? Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. you've, maybe you've written a book as well or... Well, there is a, there's a one-volume book written by a man named Jeremy Jackson. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a, it's, it may well be out of print, but you can probably get, given the Amazon, given the various vehicles rather online that we now have for secondhand books, okay. it's called No Other Foundation. Okay. And it's just a great one-volume history of the Church. Okay. Um, the book that I tend to use as a textbook is, is Timothy Dowley's uh, an introduction to the history of Christianity. It's published by Fortress Press. Mm-hmm. It's a great book because he's he's the editor, <clears throat> and he's gathered together various historians who are able to contribute in their area of strength. Uh, it's replete with uh, timelines, sidebars, photographs, maps, which are all very important awesome. uh, in the learning and understanding of Christianity. That's great. Perfect. Well, Michael, it's been such a pleasure for these past uh, four conversations to to hear from you and uh, just to even hear your passion for it. Uh, and that's really exciting and it's very encouraging as well. So I just so appreciate your time and your wisdom to really bring us through the years from Acts pretty much to this uh, to this present day. So I just want to give you a huge thanks uh, and our listeners, I'm sure, are very thankful for your time that you spent with us. And I hope to have you back on the show again soon. That'd be great. Thank you very, very much. Studying church history is studying ourselves, you know, and we can learn so much through the men and women that the Holy Spirit used to bring us the gospel today. Now, if you're interested in more of church history, definitely go back and check out episodes 53 and 54, and then last week as well, episode 64. Those were all Dr. Michael Haken taking us through a general overview of church history. And speaking of church history, not next week, but the week after, I have the super great privilege of actually going to Greece to do a tour of a ton of places that Paul and Timothy and Silas would have gone and preached at. So places like Corinth and Philippi and and Ephesus. And I'm going to be daily blogging, taking pictures and stuff like that. I'm not entirely sure where this is going to be accessed, but we're going to figure something out. And I just wanted you to be aware because I'd love, you know, for you to come along with me in a sense. Anyways, that wraps up this week's In Doubt show. If you're listening on the radio right now, Thank you. You know, we're new on radio. Three stations across Canada. Pretty excited about it. And if you are listening on the radio right now, you should tell us. And then we're going to mention you on one of the next few shows. So you can tweet us at Show on Twitter. Uh, Facebook us. Just search Indout or email us at info at 
and keep a connection with, with us, you know, through the week on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as well. If you have a topic you're interested in or a guest you'd like to hear from, tell us. You just do it through the ways that we just mentioned, through the email, Facebook, Twitter, stuff like that. And as always, we are a nonprofit. You know, we don't sell our show to gain a profit somehow. You know, we rely on the, uh, on the finances and prayers of others who believe in our mission and our vision. So if you're interested in donating to Indoubt, just click the donate button at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the States. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we chat with John Nathan, a leader from Gideon's on talking to others about Jesus. See you then. Indoubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S. Thank you.